0: this is the dreadful podcast on tv podcast industries we're talking about penny dreadful season two episode five above the vaulted sky back fellow penny faithful we're talking about penny dreadful season two episode five above the vaulted sky i'm one of your hosts
1: derek hello there fellow darklings and nightcomers yes this is the dreadful podcast and we are looking at penny dreadful uh i am one of your other hosts john yeah, welcome back just to do this this time yes absolutely getting into our spoiler filled rewatch of Penny Dreadful Season 2, with this episode above the vaulted sky. Mm -hmm. Yes, those dolls do return um, (laughs) in a rather harrowing sense uh, for poor old Gladys. And yes, this is very much the witching hour for... Um, a bit of slap and tickle no less <laughs> yes
0: this is the sexy episode it Penny really Dreadful, is it? <laughs> yes lots of love in the air I think as uh, as uh, Vanessa calls out at one point uh, later on in the uh, in the series um, just to mention again we are talking about Penny Dreadful because we're leading up to the launch of Penny Dreadful City of Angels a brand new trailer came out this week as we're recording this episode um, for the series and yes it looks really really interesting so excited to see what Natalie Dormer brings to this show love her. run Game of Thrones and she's one of those actresses that just is, is someone that you've really got to watch so uh, what this show did for Eva Green uh, for us per, we put her on this absolutely wonderful pedestal of acting I'm wondering if Natalie Dormer could even possibly match up to that but I'm really excited to see what she is given to do in, in that show uh, really excited to get there and as the more we watch this series of Penny Draftful the more excited I'm getting for uh, City of Angels when it comes we're hoping you're enjoying your rewatch of the show along with us uh, a massive thank you to everybody over on our Patreon group who's been supporting us uh, for the last couple of months leading up to these releases so we're giving them to our followers over on patreon first and then they're going out in our main feed on tv podcast industries and we will have a unique feed for all of our penny dreadful coverage as we do with all of our shows Uh, so you can just get all of the penny dreadful episodes uh, in one feed at one time if that's the one show that you want to follow not all the other stuff that we cover yes absolutely
1: so Penny, faithful, please remember to subscribe to the podcast over on tvpodcastindustries.com. You can get any good or evil podcast
0: catcher of your choice to listen to us. Mm-hmm. And if you want to get early access to any of the episodes, you can go over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash tvpodcastindustries, support us there, and you can get access to any of the episodes that we've been releasing over there for our Penny Dreadful rewatch. Let's get into our episode discussion about Season 2, Episode 5, Above the Vaulted Sky. This episode was directed by Damon Thomas. This is the second episode of Penny Dreadful that he's directed, but has four others in Season 3. Uh, recently, he directed seven episodes of Killing Eve, one of the biggest shows in the world, really. So, uh, yeah. yeah, definitely... Interesting to see what he's done over there on on, uh, Killing Eve. Uh, He also recently directed the Dracula reboot series, directed one of the episodes of that, the second episode, the one that was set on the ship traveling from Transylvania to London, funnily named... Blood vessel, which I really liked. Excellent stuff. Uh, <laughs> nice and macabre. Yes, there, I yeah. think. And you know, working with vampires, working with uh, working with some really interesting ideas in that series, as they were trying to set it up for a brand new take, a reboot of the universe of Dracula, trying to get him into present day. Really, so I don't know whether it worked for everybody. Uh, As a show, I don't know whether they will come back with a second season of that, but what Damon Thomas got to do on that episode of the trip across the ocean is a very standard Dracula story, and there was some great stuff in there, some really good... uh, Easter eggs in there for fans of the Dracula genre, I suppose, if you want to say that the vampire genre, I'd say, and I've said before, I'm a big fan of vampires. So uh, it hit me in the right place. That series really enjoyed that. What in
1: the neck with uh, two bite marks.
0: Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right there, right there. And uh, the episode once again was written by showrunner, John Logan, as always uh, for these episodes so far, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with the summary for this episode? Sure. So Malcolm and the others
1: prepare for an attack on their home by the nightcomers. Elsewhere, Inspector Rush questions Ethan as to why he has recently been buying a large amount of ammunition. Meanwhile, Madame Carly seduces Sir Malcolm and uses a voodoo doll to inflict great pain on Sorn, who is standing in her way. The creature challenges Victor Frankenstein and insists on seeing Lily, but when he does so, it's clear that she does not love him. However, when Lily, Victor and Vanessa go for dinner, it's clear to Vanessa that he is very much in love with Her. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. His cousin, who's not really his cousin, (laughs) who he brought back to life. Yes. Just wrong, Victor. Just so, so wrong. I think
0: I have her described as his formerly dead, made-up cousin. Uh, (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) But I I did think it was quite interesting, Vanessa, being in this close proximity with Lily, uh, as we know formerly uh, Brona, and no recognition crossing her face as to the fact that she may have met Brona in the past. I think
1: she did Um, at the theater
0: mm. Uh, At the Grand
1: Guignol, that moment where it is um, Ethan and Brona have gone to to see the, I think it was a werewolf, Mm -hmm. um, Penny Dreadful, that is being uh, put on at the theatre. That's right. Um, But also there is Dorian Gray and Vanessa, but Brona kind of runs out. Feeling, I suppose, somewhat out of place Mm -hmm. uh, in that company, but certainly it seems as though um, Vanessa doesn't recognise Lily here Mm -hmm. in this guise. I It's the accent.
0: It's the accent. It's the
1: accent, but (laughs) there is also that other great moment in the typhoid ward or underneath the railway line Mm -hmm. where Vanessa and John Clare both are talking about Victor and Lily to one another. Yeah. But in different guises not knowing um, yeah, yeah exactly yeah, really so it, that's that's a nice little sort of moment because there is that talk of i think in the following episodes where vanessa mentions to victor that she has met john claire um, and he knows immediately that it's caliban his his former firstborn mm-hmm. um, and it's that you know they have this discussion as to what um and why they have been brought together? There must be some kind of design. Um and that is—is is, is it fate or is it by chance? And you know this is all kind of starting to potentially weave um a complicated web mm-hmm. um between the this group of people Absolutely. for sure. You know Brona has quite a lot of uh links now to that company, whether it be Ethan, Vanessa, and um, or through john clare to victor yeah, so exactly. yes this is this is kind of uh really quite
0: interesting yeah, and indeed dorian gray uh, of with the pornography shoot yeah of course of course if you've been following along with our coverage of penny dreadful you know that we take one big moment from each of these episodes as we're reviewing them when we do get to penny dreadful city of angels we do a more traditional uh discussion about everything that happens in the episodes but as we're doing the rewatch we're picking out the things that stood out to us from each individual episode so john do you want to give us the big moment that stood out to you from episode 5 of Penny Dreadful season 2.
1: Well, this was absolutely the sexing hour on Penny Dreadful. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a storm, and my God, there was a storm amongst the bedsheets. Uh-huh. A lot of raining, a lot of ravaging going on. Yes, but i really enjoyed this because we've really been seeing that pent-up desire i suppose amongst uh, these people the frustration of it to some respect and with the lightning storm came this huge release and a clearing of the air between mm. a number of the the different people and i really quite liked this narrative on on love desire sex Across many different ways between the people in this show, between mm-hmm. the the characters, I I, th- I thought it was really really well done. You know, you you have love as exploitation, really, with Evelyn trying to seduce Sir Malcolm for her own ends. You know, yeah. to use him uh, to get close to Vanessa, but also um for other reasons, as we see in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- this is very much one of pure exploitation of Sir uh feelings here yes. um but you also have love as acceptance here by dorian towards angélique celebrating the difference that is angélique celebrating the um the, the the wagging tongues of people um disapproving you know this is his this is what he lives for and and, and i suppose with that there is this selfish side note for dorian that he always has to um advance on to the next great controversy or or new thing yeah and i think we begin to see some element of that uh over these next uh three episodes mm-hmm. as well between him and lily mm-hmm. um and i think as well then love is something uh new um for Victor, primarily, uh, towards Lily, he's always kept himself um, at a distance towards attachment, certainly with the death of his dog and his mother, as we saw in season one. That's right. But now here, uh, we see him with, yes, as you say, his made-up dead cousin, <laughs> uh, effectively, um, with Lily. Mm-hmm. But again, that's an interesting contrast with Lily, who is, in her former self as Brona, very much uh, comfortable around... Uh, her body and having yeah. sex because she was a whore yeah. um, and she got paid for that so um, but not aware of that um in her new guise as lily yeah. it, it it is something potentially new for her as well
0: yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and and of course with victor and lily you have the love as something Um, that is awkward or or seen as a risk Mm. by John Clare, uh, that he talks uh, with Vanessa about. And I, I really like this. You know, he's very nervous of his new bride. He's afraid of rejection you know, he feels awkward around love. It, it's opening up the heart to then be controlled by that emotion. Mm. Um, and he's not sure how to navigate these waters of love as he talks to, to Vanessa about uh, being effectively unlucky in love. So he has real trepidation around it. Well, yeah. um, and, and so does uh, Vanessa, actually, with... Um, effectively her possessions being sort of spurred on by sexual intercourse Mm. uh, with Mina's um, husband-to-be and then with Dorian um, in season one. So, you know, all of this and then the big love that cannot happen Um the 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 love that can't take flight between vanessa and ethan mm-hmm. because of who they are and because of their relationship to one another which gets teased out i think in episode seven more actually um from from mr lyle yes. but certainly at the moment vanessa is wary of anything intimacy uh, because of the possession that she knows of took hold of her from that. She, so she's really kind of recoiling from that. So whatever the feelings there might be between uh, Vanessa and Ethan, it's something that they can't act on. And Ethan, because he certainly doesn't want to be making love during a full moon, otherwise <laughs> um that doggy style is going to get really <laughs>
0: dangerous. It definitely will. You may lose your throat in that <laughs> yeah, moment. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I really just liked how... All of this complex web of these people came together and there were touch points between different people and just this whole um, narrative and exploration of love and sex you know it
0: was it was really really good. Yeah, there's so much going on in this episode with all of these relationships Culminating in one moment, really, culminating in in these moments in this episode. Um, you know, everybody uh, seems to be coupling up at the same time. You know, you you talked about Caliban and uh, John Claire um, feeling that he's not able to be uh, to be with his new wife. I suppose the, the new bride of Frankenstein. I suppose, um, but that all came out of him going to victor and effectively forcing him to release lily to him to to make good on his uh, promise that uh, lily would come to him as his bride but we find that what actually has happened is victor has given her the choice she can now make up her own mind as to who the who she is to be in love with Uh, something he'll probably come to regret as the episodes go on but at this moment, he's doing it because he's fallen in love with Lily and yeah. doesn't want to tell John Clare about it. But given the choice, really, Lily chooses not to go with John Clare, not saying it. She doesn't say that she's not going to go with him, but she feels completely standoffish towards this person that she's supposed to be betrothed to. You know, that's the the lie that they've told um. Lily is that she was formally engaged to this man to be married and now she's lost her memory after an accident um but she should go back to him if she feels that's the right thing to do so um so quite a a twist, I suppose, yeah. from from Victor, particularly because Victor's telling John Clare, you wouldn't be the kind of man that would force a woman to be with you, would you, kind of thing. And the reason why he's saying that is because he wants Lily to be with him.
1: Yeah, you know? exactly. And and John Clare is, you know, he's afraid of the rejection, but what Victor has said to her, you know, how he has been painted to her by, by him. Mm-hmm. And of course, yeah, she, Lily has absolutely no recollection of him. And neither should she, even if she were tapping into Broner's memories. Yeah. Um but she does say, Let's be friends to start. I can do no author. Yeah. I, it it is almost a smack in the gut for John Clare, Calavan, mm-hmm. the creature, the firstborn, because <laughs> um he he just thought it was going to be almost make a date Mm -hmm. effectively by victor to create this person who would be with him he you know he is very sophisticated now he he's very well learnt. he has evolved and developed in in that sense from the creature you know we saw how proteus uh, as well as himself and with lily coming in having to learn and uh, and develop Mm -hmm. and he feels that he would be able to mold her um, and in a sense, Victor has done that, and that's where her affection, um, at least her her most social contact, has yeah. come from, not with him. So maybe Victor should have left it to to John Clare to do the the teachings, yeah. in a sense, and maybe something would have been a little bit different. Absolutely. Um, I think the really nice thing I, I love the I, I love the the phrase used, um, just coming on to sir malcolm and evelyn pool at the the opera uh where also dorian and angelique are as well she she has a great line where she says damn baubles of our vanity because she has um, a ring with a little needle on it that she oh, pricks yes. Sir Malcolm with and this kind of leads um, him I presume with some kind of magic around it uh, to become infatuated you know they're kissing in the rain and very impulsively mm-hmm. uh, Sir Malcolm says I have to be with you now yeah. uh, as they take a hotel room so one small prick should be uh, rewarded by <laughs> dare I say it <laughs> another, <laughs> another. Um, but yes. you know th- this is is really again just Evelyn using uh, the these little bits of magic and mm-hmm. um, her, her sharp rings. My goodness, uh, you wouldn't want to shake hands with her in any yeah. way. She's used it to kill one of her daughters mm-hmm. uh, for failing her, and now she's using a, a different ring to uh, effectively inject some poison or not poison, but some kind of
0: magic mm-hmm. uh, to. To change some alchemy, Absolutely, to influence whatever he does, I suppose, as well. Yeah, she also, remember, used it to kill multiple cows uh, on the moors. And that as well, well. yeah, exactly. uh, Hopefully she washes that ring. I'm Um, sure she does. (laughs) I'm sure she takes care of it. But let's talk a little bit about Dory and Angelique's uh, moments together, because this comes out of another of those... um, Moments within Victorian society where we see this group of a holes, as I'm just absolutely going to refer them, refer <laughs> yeah, to them, absolutely, um, who try to uh, completely embarrass Angelique when she's being brought out to this uh, high society moment with Dorian being brought into this uh, this group effectively, and they're spitting on her, they're shouting at her. Um, and then we see that it takes its toll on her. We have this wonderful uh, discussion between Angelique and, uh, and Dorian back at his house where she's dressing back up as a as a boy and yeah. um, saying that will just make life easier if I dress like this. You know, yes, OK, people will still point fingers at me, but I'm just done with the fight. Um, I, I kind of love this because I've said before that Dorian is... A very despicable character. He's been going from one person to the next over and over throughout his life, getting away with whatever he wants to. And for once, this feels like he really does truly. Um, want to relieve some of the stress and tension that's there within Angelique about what she has to do in fighting every day to prove that she is the person that she is, you know? And there does feel like some really good connection between Dorian and her. It feels like he's actually using the knowledge that he's built up and the experience that he's built up to help somebody else within this society. And that's something that I don't feel even in the conversations with Vanessa that he had before. Um, I don't feel that he, has really done anything good with the experiences that he's had other than good for himself. It just feels like this time with Angelique, he's really using those, the knowledge that he's built up to, to kind of say, right, the fight may be difficult, but it's worth it. You get to be yourself. You get to be whoever you want to be. Um, Absolutely. I,
1: I think it's interesting with Dorian and Angelique because I think because of the way he Um, deals with what Angelique is doing, you know, in dressing back in, in men's clothing, uh, you know, saying that he's tired of fighting, um, and, you know, he's only fit for whoring and degradation is how he describes it. I think that's why I said Dorian, you know, it was love as acceptance because he's providing this acceptance. I do think equally you could say it's love as exploitation for Dorian because he is doing this in order to, Ret- almost retain Angelique uh, as well, I think, to some extent. And I think we might see that a little further down the tracks, yeah. this idea that for Dorian, it is about always moving towards the latest new thing. Yeah, I mean, Angelique in some ways calls it out with, you prefer the freak, it is a spice for you. Mm-hmm. And it's that kind of notion. Well, be- for Dorian, it's an addiction what yeah. he does. And Angelique is the next addiction uh, of... Uh, uniqueness, uh, nerve and talent, (laughs) dare I say it, that he is, he is trying to be uh, a part of, almost consume. Mm That's the same with Vanessa. The only difference is, is that Vanessa has spurned that for the moment, whereas most people get locked into Dorian. Yeah. Um. She hasn't
0: because of what's happened. So you're right on that locking into Dorian. And, and as described in the original novel, the, the picture of Dorian Gray, it, it's also a hollowing out that he does of the people around him. Yeah, he takes everything true. he wants from them and then leaves them to the side. We have very strong characters uh, created by John Logan in this show who have been able to kind of get out of the grips of Dorian. We don't really see very often the people that, uh, that he has hollowed out. As, as I say, we, we don't really see them. Um, and right now, as of this episode, let's say, uh, and as of this part of our discussion from five to seven, we haven't seen the ill effect that could come On Angelique from her uh, connection to Dorian. I think in this particular episode, I think it's a really well played, uh, parse that we have. Angelique's a very strong character in the show. And to see her kind of falter for a moment and then get bolstered by the direction, I suppose, or the help of Dorian Gray is a really good moment. And it's, it's really well put together. It's, it's beautifully played on screen. Uh, also, we really do have to give a lot of props to this show for the sex scenes themselves, you know, the things that are, that are shown on screen here. I think we both remember, we both watched Queer as Folk, yeah. uh, Russell T. Davis' seminal uh, story of gay life in Manchester. And I remember watching it for the first time when it came out in, what, 97, 98, I think it was the first season of that show. I remember watching that and it always felt like Russell T. Davis had gone and sat down with the censors and said, I'm going to do a, do a show about sex between gay people. What can I put on screen? How far can I push it? It's kind of the, the way he said it. You know, nothing's particularly shown, but you're seeing a sex scene between two gay men that is just as revealing as the sex scenes between heterosexual partners on a show. And what we have here between, in the same kind of way in this show on Penny Dreadful, the sex scene between uh, Angelique and uh, and Dorian is exactly the same type of sex scene we would have seen on on Queer as Folk uh, many years before. And you don't see it very often. You really don't see that on television very often. And you can see it being paired side by side with the sex scene between Sir Malcolm and Evelyn Poole. That is also the same type of sex scene as you're seeing between Angelique and, uh, and Dorian. Um, but I like that they intercut the two of them together effectively to show there's no real difference between the two. They're television no, exactly. sexy. And, know?
1: and it's people who are very comfortable with having sex. And you, you, then the contrast is with, with Victor, who's, you know, kind of shakily sort of, st- starting
0: on that journey yeah. with with his made-up dead cousin, Lily. Um, <laughs> the tentative, tentative uh, two virgins, I suppose, yeah, exactly. between the two of them, not knowing whether it's the right thing to do. Obviously, you know, we should also kind of comment, I suppose, in the Victorian era as well. There was a little oddness to the fact that he is continually referring to this person as her as his cousin and the conversation with Vanessa never takes that turn of should you be sleeping with your cousin you know um he does reference only once I think in a previous episode as like second or third cousin kind of thing he makes the distinction but he has made up the backstory of this this young girl coming to visit him who's his cousin from the country yeah absolutely yeah tells everybody there's a relationship between the two yeah. of them as well
1: I think as well back in those days I think it was not unusual mm-hmm. that that would happen Um certainly when you were talking uh, about families with land exactly. or whatever it was very much um one of the things to do because effectively royalty were doing it say, it yeah. was how you maintained
0: your power yeah good uh, enough by for he... kings and queens good enough for the high society of uh, exactly. uh, victorian london definitely yeah yeah um the sexual aspect of the show has always been quite central to it. Right back from season one, it's always been something that's that's been involved in there. I think this episode, because it involves so much going on between all of these characters, it feels like this is the sexy time episode, as you as you called it, John. It uh, is as, uh, yeah. sexy. The sexing yeah. era of Penny Dreadful. Sexy Dreadful. <laughs> but there is other stuff going on in this episode my my point for the episode the big thing that stood out to me really is Evelyn Poole's other magic within the episode oh yeah um wow these um fetishes as they're calling them the voodoo dolls that are that that she's creating they're getting more and more gruesome as we go on you know we did see the uh, baby autopsy that provided the heart for Vanessa's um fetish the doll that they, that was created for her uh this time we see her opening up the skull of a doll of Gladys Murray malcolm murray's wife uh looking exactly like her even if you hadn't seen her on screen or just saw her for a couple of seconds in the previously on last week's episode kind of thing the doll looks exactly like uh, gladys and what she does to her uh, in this scene is so brutal yeah. You know? the synopsis described as Madame callie using a voodoo doll to inflict great pain on someone who is standing in her way yes she does this is you know, opening up, seeing inside, seeing yeah. a brain inside. I'm wondering, you know, instantly what came into my head was, oh, God, that's the baby's brain that she's put inside this doll, or she's found a brain from somewhere else to put inside here, because it's a real brain. Um, It's definitely uh, another thing that she may have been using. Definitely. But putting the nails over and over and over again to drive Gladys mad at this scratching that she's feeling inside her head oh, I, it, is yeah. crazy. But as it goes on throughout the episode, we cut back to Gladys multiple times and you see what's actually happening is she's being driven completely insane because we have the slight return let's say of mina and peter um her daughter and son who rise from the grave in her room as she is scraping at her head um like it's really brutal to do this to the partner of the person that she's trying to control in sir malcolm um like realistically she probably could have done something very simple and just had you know killed done something to the doll to kill herself but what she's done is she's driven this woman mad to the point of cutting her own throat yeah um like that scene where we see those the first time where she's putting the nails into her head and we have what's five nurses who are on top of uh of gladys in her home well, trying no, to hold her down it's, it's like all of her maid staff as she's as she's tapping the nails she, into yeah, her brain as
1: she's adding more into mm-hmm. the, the first one i mean it It is. I found this whole thing really harrowing. It's Mm -hmm. it's the idea that Gladys is completely powerless. It is the puppet on a string doing stuff because you have no control over it and because it's been directed by somebody else. And that felt, you know, it's like stamping on spiders or ants. It, it, It felt, you know, that Evelyn Poole was taking a a sledgehammer to crack a walnut yeah. in that just go in and kill her uh, make it short sharp exactly. and sweet and um, but the sadistic nature of evelyn pool uh, and also to keep her hands um you know squeaky clean from anything a- a- around it, mm-hmm. it is the reason why she's doing this it, it's it's um being able to be um seven steps removed from it uh, and to keep herself uh, out of the eyes of of the law. But it's from that very moment where she cracks the skull with the little chisel Mm. to that first strike and that's when she wakes up in bed screaming and then as she adds more pins into the brain yeah you have that moment where she's being restrained by um four or five nurses and i have to say here noni stapleton who plays gladys i just thought it was a amazing um tour de force of um someone writhing in pain mm-hmm. with the look of just desperation yeah. but also you know feeling powerless and the miss comprehension of why is this happening to her Mm -hmm. i thought was absolutely um, fantastically oh, yeah. acted by uh, Noni Stapleton yeah, um, really really good
0: Yeah, no, my, it, it, my brain's itchy just thinking about these these moments uh, And, <laughs> and, and yeah, where exactly. it's just this thought of her just being in a completely separate place uh, out in their uh, holiday home effectively after she'd broken up with Malcolm in, in the first episode of saying that she's going to keep her life completely separate from Malcolm and she's out here alone uh, both of her children are dead no family members around she just has her staff effectively not actually sure are, they, are those nurses or are they her maid staff that are trying to hold her down? Uh, not. It's a very quick scene, I yeah. suppose, but you can f- really feel the horror that's coming across her because you know day before absolutely fine, and then suddenly waking up screaming, seeing these visions of her children, and this pain that must yeah. be coming into her brain as she's as she's getting the effects of what's happening from Evelyn Pool.
1: Yeah, and it, it it serves that purpose of showing the power of this fetish of this doll, mm. and we know. Of Vanessa's um, fetish yep. as well. I I think the thing is, you know, it, with with Gladys, it's the suffering. It is that mm-hmm. idea of the cat playing with its prey. That um, the not the, just take the bite out of the neck and stop the suffering. She, yep. you know, in that moment where she kills herself, you, I mean, you absolutely go. She's removing her own suffering, and and it's that cut back to the blood trickling down you know the face um of the distant emotionless doll's face Mm -hmm. of gladys um is just really um very very powerful image and and it 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 well deserves its moment in the annals of any good horror Mm -hmm. film or tv show uh this this whole harrowing of
0: gladys murray yeah Without you know, a doubt. Yeah, it's certainly one of the most standout moments of Penny Dreadful as well. Uh, one, of those, one of those moments that you remember from uh, the first time you watched it as well. Uh, probably didn't do much for your phobia of dolls, though, John, did it? Not at
1: all. Um, for me, dolls are a big no-no. Only cuddly toys uh, for me. <laughs> certainly none of these porcelain-like dolls uh, or puppets. Um, I will never be going to a Punch and Judy show
0: ever <laughs> never, again. Never, ever again. I'm probably not going to be watching Child's Play, the television show, either. No. A <laughs> no, Pediophobia is the fear of dolls, John. Well, then I certainly have that, along <laughs> with my arachnophobia. There you go. Excellent, excellent. No dolls covered in spiders for
1: you. No, um, and weirdly, whilst I really don't like spiders, I certainly uh like them in the sense that i know you know they catch flies and all that so yes i like spiders for that but yes um the idea of being bitten certainly uh currently outside the back of our house we Mm -hmm. probably have an infestation of (laughs) uh false widow spiders uh
0: which is just like eek they're grand they're grand try and live over in australia with ray Mm -hmm. Let's see how much he has to put up with, uh, with the spiders over there. Uh, any notes for this episode of, uh, of Penny Dreadful, episode five of season two, John?
1: Yes. Um, it is something that we didn't really talk about when uh, Caliban renamed himself John Clare, <laughs> but just to take a line from Vanessa to uh John Clare, mm-hmm. uh, you share your name with a dead poet.
0: How did we not? <laughs> exactly. So I, Ray- I, you know, I have to say Ray was also there. All three of us seem to miss <laughs> I this. I think it's just because of the trepidation or the, the the way that he delivers the name when he's asked it. Um when he's asked to provide a name, he goes, uh John um um Claire, you know, if he'd gone William uh, Wordsworth, we probably <laughs> would have gotten it named after. <laughs> yeah, the poet, exactly. But it's just because it's too reasonably... Uh, normal names that he that he has. It looks like he's chosen the two of them separately. We should have guessed, though, shouldn't we? We should have. Um,
1: but very interesting. So I had a
0: look. Um,
1: I looked up John Clare uh, because Caliban or John Clare. Well, I'm, this this could now get confusing. So <laughs> Caliban as John Clare right. in the show. He goes. He was small and he shared an empathy with creatures and animals. Mm-hmm. Um, which was kind of interesting because what I found out was that he was an English poet and he be. Came known for his celebrations or sorrows of the English countryside, uh, the plants, the animals, the people that lived within it mm-hmm. in terms of the celebrations of country life, but also the loss or the sorrow of the destruction of the countryside wow, as right well. Right. In the sense, not only about the industrial revolution, but even the agricultural revolution where you had the privatization of huge swaths of of common land uh, uh, as well yes. into um you know private farms or farms owned by the landed gentry and mm-hmm. and and worker farmers um, so it, it's really quite interesting but in addition to that as well um of what was described as a poet of the alienated and unstable self okay. um as well so you know caliban here is alienated and mm-hmm. um, Vanessa is or has been in the past portrayed as being unstable uh, by the medical class exactly. um, within the Victorian era. Um, and in fact, John Claude did die in a lunatic asylum. So he probably did have some form of mental illness or maybe he just wasn't understood by the medical profession uh, of his time. But um, so it's kind of interesting little parallels there. But his biographer described him as arguably the greatest laboring class poet that england had ever produced or at least of the 19th century right right. um in the sense that he came from a working class family Mm -hmm. his poetry was about working class the laboring class not about the kings queens and so on it and it was about people um in in the countryside and about individuals
0: so it's, that's kind of interesting I, I like that notion for me personally right that makes up for us not knowing who he was last time and not checking it up before we uh went on to record so uh yeah. very good job. Yeah, exactly yeah uh, just a quick note for me um about hecate um the character that's been introduced this season the daughter of evelyn pool maybe um, that's just a just a reference to the fact of her name you know it's a, it is a very unusual name I think, I think we'll talk about the scene where she uh, is questioned about how unusual her name is um but hecate was the greek goddess of magic uh, witchcraft the Night, Moon, Ghosts, and Necromancy. So there's a very good reason why they've chosen this name for the daughter of Evelyn Poole. Yeah, nice
1: nice, uh, nice, stuff there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have one other note as well. Uh-huh. Is In the, the continuing deciphering of the Verbis Diablo puzzle, we do get reference to Lupus Day or the Hound of God. Yes, we do. Uh, and, of course, we do know one of the uh, characters in this show does like to cock his leg every so often, <laughs> uh, Ethan Chandler. Is it really miss lupin
0: from harry potter no <laughs> no. no it's
1: not <laughs> good old ethan so is he um this totem of the lupus day being mm. referred to
0: in the written form of Verbus diablo Yes, he probably is. He probably is, (laughs) exactly. Uh, Since there's only two of us with this episode, there's definitely would have been other points that we talk about. Just one that I want to just highlight, because I thought it was really interesting, was just the moment where Ethan's recounting the siege maneuver that he'd done when he was in the army, saying that he's the type of person that knows exactly how to get rid of an enemy, surround them in one location, and kill every single one one of them until they cease to exist, is how he describes it. And then he says in order to banish these nightcomers, in order to get rid of these nightcomers, they need to use every single thing they have available to them, every weapon, every ritual, every superstition, and we will defend our cliff, is the way that he's described. Yeah, describe really nice, it. Yeah. But the nightcomers are much more uh, conniving, much more cunning than Ethan has, uh, and Ethan thinks. He thinks there's just going to be a front a full uh, frontal assault on the house. He thinks, you know, they're going to come back in through the door and there's going to be a massive fight. So we see each member of the team kind of going through there. Superstitions, their rituals, uh, their weapons. um, Which I just I like the kind of lining up of all of this. We have Vanessa drawing her serpent on the new doors. We have uh, Ethan uh, doing the smoke ritual, which is uh, the Indian ritual that he's doing around the house, and then he goes up to his bed and and does his prayers at bedtime. You know, which does belie the fact that he said in the past he doesn't believe in God. Yet here he is by his bedside praying to God, just like a normal Christian would do sitting beside the bed praying. We also have some Bene hanging the dolls around yes. the house. And of course, Sir Malcolm being the hunter, he's the one that gets all of his guns together around the house, which is which is really interesting. And then finally, we have Mister Lyle, a newer member of the company, uh, going downstairs into the basement, hiding the fact it seems uh, of his Jewish heritage and going to, and doing a Jewish prayer, a Jewish traditional yeah. uh, prayer downstairs in the basement. Which I just thought it was quite an interesting little nod. You know, there's no, there was no uh, reference to this in the past about him feeling persecuted for his Jewish heritage, but it's interesting that he would uh, take that moment to be away from everybody else to perform his ritual. No, exactly. Uh, deal with, uh, with his own, I suppose, superstitions. And I thought that was values. an interesting
1: little moment of, of the show, given the, you know, Jewish pogroms um, against the Jews, uh, by Christians. It has, has happened through from, um, medieval times mm-hmm. all the way through, you know, as this scapegoat and then into the 20th century, mm-hmm. uh, of a of a secular nature through um you know specifically with the holocaust and so on that you know there was this element of uh keeping that faith quiet even though there were synagogues yeah. uh, and long standing synagogues um that go back to the victorian period mm-hmm. um so it, it's a really interesting beat in in the commentary of yeah. being a jew
0: um sort of within a christian society potentially and i think it's um, just a beat as, as well yeah I, exactly I, again i love how it's referred to by uh, by ethan just saying every weapon every ritual every superstition you know it, it's it doesn't matter what it is you believe in all of us believe in something we're going to use the power of all of that versus the nightcomers i thought it was a, a really interesting scene um that's it for the notes on uh, on episode five we'll be back later in the week with our discussion about episode six glorious horrors